Hello. Hi. Welcome to Cosmic Halitosis. Episode two. Number two. two. Yay. I'm Temba. And I'm Genevieve. And today we want to talk a little bit about work. Work, 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 work. So much fun. So much <laughs> fun. Fun. <laughs> um, I think on the last podcast at the end we mentioned a little bit kind of about our work situations. Um, I recently had my car totaled and one of the things I was doing a lot of was lifting in between other stuff. So kind of on a hiatus from that. And what were you doing? Um, I've been working at Mohawk Bend for like six months now, I think. Five, six months. As a hostess, I just got moved up to a trainer as of yes or server trainer, server in training as of yesterday. But I also started a job a few doors down from there at Stockroom, which is like a sex, latex, fetish, BDSM, insertable sex shop. And that's been awesome and has made uh, my job at Mohawk easier since I'm not like burnt out on the one job now. Which is crucial. Which is crucial. <laughs> but it doesn't pay very well, so I'm staying at Mohawk so that I have a better source of income to balance out passion job, shit job I don't like that pays okay. <laughs> fun, money, <It's>... money, fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I've had jobs before that have been, f- like, I've truly loved and have paid well, but it's been few and far between. Oh, that reminds me. Yeah. We came up with this exercise where we were just going to rapid fire list off some of the shit we've done for money. Yes. Because so. we've both done a lot. I would say, I would say what's interesting about you and I is we kind of have, we have very similar views. This is part of why we got married. Maybe we talked about this last week. I think we have very similar views and ideologies and philosophies about work, money, life, quality of life, and how work uh, plays into all of that. Yeah. Um... So we've do- both done a lot of gigging and trying to do cash jobs under the table work as much as possible. Cash is king. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's said to rule everything around me. I've heard that somewhere before. Mm-hmm. I think a wise group of people um, once <laughs> said that. So do you want to do this? We'll list off. Let's this. Do it. I don't know if we have equal size lists Maybe or not, not, but we'll just we'll rapid fire. This is some of the things Deb oh, and I. Oh. Wait, wait. When was your first job? How old were you? Uh, shit. Oh, I think my very first job was, um, I was probably somewhere between the ages of six and eight, and, uh, one of our neighbors, um, that I think, I'm not sure, well, my parents were friends with this woman that was, lived, like, a few houses up from us, and she, like, went on a trip, and, uh, she paid me to kind of house sit. Like, I just, like, watered her plants, and I think that was it. It was just water her plants. So that was my very first job. It's very young for yeah. a first job. It's a lot of responsibility for a <laughs> six or seven year It wasn't old. too bad. I mean, I don't know. It's yeah, just, no, it's you know, water good. a few plants. Yeah. It's not rocket science. How mine, about you? Mine was when I was 12 years old, and there was a lady down the road who actually lived on the land that used to be my great-grandparents' land, um, and she ran a little daycare out of a trailer house. And she offered me $2 an hour 
to watch 12 children, 10 to 12 children, while she went off with her various farmer boyfriends during the day. So she'd go on dates and leave me with all these kids. I had no... Dope. I had no childcare experience. $2 an hour. I was probably working eight-hour days, so I'd make $16 at the uh, end of the day. And I'd you be were like, balling, though. <laughs> I thought it was great. I'd drive my three-wheeler in the ditch down to her thing. It was like a two-minute two three-wheeler drive. And, yeah, I mean, it actually felt really good. I was, like, felt this sense of responsibility and whatever. But it was actually really... It was hard work. It was, like, from an infant to, like, kids that were similar to my own age. So it was, like... (sighs) Fuck that. I mean, if something had gone... I didn't have CPR training and whatever. If something had gone wrong, who knows? But it all turned out okay. Luckily, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So let's rapid fire. That's my first job. So that's my... All right. Okay, yeah. Ready to go? You go first. All of our jobs... Daycare assistant. House sitter. Babysitter. McDonald's. Summer stock theater gopher. Regal cinema. Burger Burger King. Weed farm assistant. Waitress. Gap. Earth art assistant. I can't read my own handwriting. Oh, uh, the Bembo Inn assistant server. Potter's assistant. Red Bull. Curtain mender. Go-go dancer. Seamstress. Bike shop. Gallery attendant. Lightboard operator. Costume assistant. Team Lost Coast Brewery Mountain Bike Road Manager. Puppet Studio Attendant. Cutting Firewood. Summer Camp Secretary. Trimming. Video Editing Monitor. Wilderness Therapy. Art Model. Garden Caretaker. Bikini Valet. Brand Ambassador. Extra Actor. Automotive Product Specialist. Actor. Mobile Marketing Tour Assistant Manager. Ooh. Artist. Adventure guide. Paid audience member. Actor, theater, film, and commercials. Nightlife host and performer. Model. Vintage resale entrepreneur. Dancer. Librarian. Reed's Ginger Brew marketing team. Medical study lab rat. Zipcar fleet associate. Trimmer. TV film production assistant. Bikini bull rider. Sound recorder. Fetish model. Assistant camera operator. Sex worker. Weed delivery. Door bouncer. Lift driver. Art handler. Drone operator. Ice cream truck driver. Driver for sketchy dude selling weed. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that one. Events manager. Secret shopper. Nanny. Extra actor. Online theater actor. Grip. Hostess. Uh, Weed dealer allegedly. (laughs) That's a good one. Barista. House construction. Bartender. Mover. Banquet server. Auto auction driver. Tax receipt sorter. Computer tech help. Theater set delivery driver. I think that's it for me. Okay, I only have a few more. RV driving instructor. Pillow maker. That was a good one. Nice. And currently sex shop retail worker. Sweet. Yeah. That's actually a pretty even list. Not too bad, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I was like picking my brain like, I can't remember what the fuck. I've done so much random ass shit. Yeah. Well, a couple of the, a couple of those jobs I've always found really interesting that you did, like the the wilderness therapy, or was it the adventure job? Those two I always get mixed oh, up. Uh, which one? One of them that you said was really enjoyable, but then you had to do a lot of office hours for it. Oh, that was adventure guide. Yeah, so I worked for the company, and um, basically I took people like camping, backpacking, mountain biking, rock climbing, snowboarding. Um, yeah, lots of outdoory adventure type things. Um, and yeah, gave them 
most most people hadn't done any of those things so it was a lot of really beginner stuff so teaching people uh yeah the basics of rock climbing or like mountain biking i've taught so many people like how to ride a bike most of these people were were, i would say in the like middle school high school range a lot of college too uh but yeah there's a lot of kids that have never ridden a bike and that was here in la um that job was interesting because a lot of one of one of the parts i really liked was um we would work with uh a lot of it was with high schools and middle schools so a lot of them were kids who lived half mile or mile away from the beach but had never been right it's just like not part of their lexicon like so um so yeah taking kids on a beach trip and like teaching them how to surf or go like ocean kayaking or something like that Mm -hmm. um it was enjoyable yeah it was a lot of fun but yeah when I started going full-time like the job we got like a new department manager and it just like clamped up it was starting to get super corporate they were like trying to put fucking uh cubicle walls in our office and like the only reason I took that job is because it was so lax. Like, I fucking hate office jobs. Like, it was cool. Everyone had, like, a little weapon. We, like, learned how to throw knives and stuff. Super chill environment. Uh, but after our original, um, I'm just going to call him our director because I don't remember what his actual title was. It just started getting real office and, like, I don't know, maybe we were bullshitting too much beforehand. <laughs> but... Uh, it really, like, that la- kind of lacks, like, informal office environment is what really made it fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, it, yeah, it just, it was getting crazy. Like, the work hours were ridiculous. Like, on some of these camping trips, you're literally working, like, 18-plus hours mm-hmm. a day, and then I would have to do that back-to-back-to-back-to-back, to back to back to back, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't get uh, normal vacation or time off like a regular job because they're in California Labor Code. There was this weird clause about summer camps, where you didn't have to give time off based on the hours because these people work these condensed schedules just for the summer, but they'd Mm -hmm. be working also like 18-hour days. Mm -hmm. So there's this labor law that said you didn't have to give them time off or vacation days at the normal rate. And that's fine for a summer camp because you're only working like two months, two and a half months, whereas this job was all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. And I'm putting in like 70, 80 hour weeks yeah. and I'm not getting time off. So like I literally had a stress breakdown in the moment. I was mm-hmm. like, I wasn't acting. I wasn't doing any art or any of the stuff that I really loved. I started like hating, not mm-hmm. hating, but I wasn't going out in nature, which was something that was really important to me and fun to me. But that became drudgery yeah all I did and I was just like yeah I was miserable and yeah the the company just didn't treat the Mm. workers well I didn't feel was that one of the only full-time jobs you've ever done that's the only full-time job I've ever had I think the only one I've had too was an ice cream truck which was like 80 hours a week it wasn't a real job it was a cash job it was like a mafioso job but I loved it, but it was just the stress of, like, having to do that every day is not sustainable. I don't know how people do that for their whole lives. Yeah. I, that's always, that's one of my favorite jobs of yours, the ice cream truck. But you... It's everyone's favorite. <laughs> you had to put up with a lot of bullshit for that job, it also sounds like. Yeah, yeah. It was... I'll write, I'll write something about it someday, I think, because it was just so weird. And, I mean, there were two phases to it. I drove an ice cream truck in New York City, in Manhattan, for think four years uh 
well, really the whole five and a half years that I was there, I was doing, or five years of the five and a half years I was there. I was doing this job. I drove a Mr. Softy. It was through these um, Greek dudes who kind of just bought all these trucks, and then they basically give you the truck. They stock it up with everything you needed. They'd say, go make us money. You take, I think they started us at 20%. I ended at 30%. Um, and, yeah, you just... They hope you don't steal the money. <laughs> Most people still stole the money. I regret to this day that I didn't stole the money. Stole the money. Steal the money because it was a cash job and it would have been very easy. But I was like, very goody goody, honest. It's a very unfortunate trait. And um, there's uh, nothing wrong with that. I don't know, man. These guys were not good people. Yeah. In every way, in every way that you could think of, not good people. They were not good people. Um, and it was, yeah, it was very, very like mafia, mafia esque. Every single summer in New York City, some articles come out about ice cream men and getting in turf wars, beating each other with baseball bats. And I saw that kind of shit happen. I saw like crazy gunslinging, shooting down the road in the middle Fuck. of the night outside the depot, pe- armed robbery, people coming in and stealing the, the 60 grand in cash that was in like a little bodega plastic bag that they throw in their car at the end of the night which i also wish i would have stolen one night but whatever i didn't i was an honest ice cream person which is the worst thing you can be (laughs) i went to i went to jail for it uh on one occasion which they paid me for my time which is always nice that's nice yeah Yeah. being because i'm reclaiming my time (laughs) reclaiming my time reclaiming my time i was reclaiming my time and they knew um that they owed me but yeah i mean there's just so many stories i can't even like scratch the surface and then the second phase of it was um big gay ice cream who was running out of the same depot i was two great guys who were a couple who ended up having this ice cream idea that blew up because of their social media presence and became this foodie thing uh kept asking me to work with them and i eventually did and i drove their truck for a summer which was super wonderful great money i think i was working i think i was working full-time then but like barely like it was so easy and just beautiful time to be alive you know (laughs) that's one of my best jobs just because I was actually making money uh even though I didn't own the truck own the stuff it felt like I was my own boss like I had bosses I had like five bosses but you could really say fuck you to all of them at any time and do whatever you wanted and they couldn't fire you because they needed you and it was kind of liberating I guess also because I was one of the only females doing it um I think I was like one of three women who were doing it out of that depot and ended up just being two of us in the end like I think it started as like 10 women trying to do this ice cream truck thing mm-hmm. and then I was one of a few that stayed on because I'm a complete masochist <laughs> and was one of the only people who was willing to uh put up with this shit because it was good money and then I funded my art in the winter which is all I ever hoped for with any job yeah at the end of the day well, that's pretty dope so you just like you work the summers and then you stack away enough money mm-hmm. that you could I didn't work all winter. The... That's awesome. And it wasn't survive, it was thrive. Thrive, yeah. Yeah, I was traveling to Europe in the winter and just like doing whatever I wanted with my art. I did not have to think about money. Ballin'. Yeah, I had all my money in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> Kept my cash in the freezer like a good hustler and yeah, it was and I lived in New York City and that's an expensive city and it was really nice to have that. But it wasn't sustainable, like your job. It's like the stress, even if you enjoy it, the stress of working that much is just, I'm not cut out for that. Not worth it. And I mean, I also worked in Midtown Manhattan, you know? And I, every day I'd sit up my window in my little bikini with my boobs out to attract customers. And I'd watch all these businessmen who are, businessmen and women who are like people who are going to these desk jobs every day for four years. 
in midtown Manhattan or Wall Street or wherever, you know? And I'd see these men whose, like, bodies were just, like, bent over from being at a desk for their whole life, you know? Yeah. Just, the, like, the bodies and the stress. And, the, like, I was really interested in, like, even just observing that, you know? The, like, intensity or the women in high heels because I had to wear their, like, high heels to work every day as this, like, power symbol, like, where they'd have their tennis shoes and be, like, carrying their high heels. Just, like, all this, like, there's so much, like, intensity and, like, obviously such even just desk jobs were like so hard on the body you could tell yeah it's completely soul-sucking man you're like in a giant skyscraper just this Mm -hmm. steel tube full of thousands of other people just fucking nuts wasting away on a computer and then i was there like one moment during the day during their lunch break where they'd hop up to my window with like the look of a, a gleeful child you know, like, when ice, cream. ice cream with sprinkles, and they'd have this, like, gleeful moment. It was such a strange, like, you know, intersection of people, you know, like, me being this, like, street, I mean, street worker, I guess, that that, that was basically it, and, and these people who were doing the drudgery, but I had a different kind of drudgery. They had their drudgery. Yeah. Money is drudgery, which I think <laughs> brings us to our next point, you know? I don't really care about money. Nope. I really could do without. Yeah, and it's not... Like, yeah, having money is not really very high up in my... It never has been for me. Priorities. I'd rather have, like, a quality of experiences mm-hmm. and do what the fuck I want to do with my time. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, time has always been the most important. Yeah, because, I mean, even resource. when you do have it, you're chasing the dragon because, mm-hmm. what, you, like, make all this money and then you get all these status symbols to show that you have money. And but, you have to maintain those status yeah. symbols, which is more money. And you can never actually use them because you don't have any time because you're just working to keep mm-hmm. maintaining this weird, yeah. Well, I guess both of us were raised without too much importance placed on those things. Yeah, yeah. So that's, like... It seems like part of what we have in common, too, is, like, for my parents, my mom worked full-time as a teacher on the reservation. Not great money, but she was passionate about the work and would, you know, use it to, you know, pay the bills and then also save up for travel. That was always, like, it seems like for my mom, she's always worked really hard. And she retired a few years ago only to start working again because she wanted to, like, save up for travel and creative projects and stuff, you know? Because mm-hmm. you can't do those things often you can't do those things without money you know? yeah unfortunately it's like necessary evil i guess but, to some extent but i think i was taught more than anything that like travel and experiences are what you should spend your money on more than stuff or at least expensive stuff you know yeah like we always had shitty cars and a house that my parents built and all of that kind of thing yeah 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 cars uh cars are a huge waste of money especially uh, buying a new car as I soon know. as you drive it away it's like drops in yeah value. yeah it's the wild. depreciation's insane how do you feel not having a car right now just like simple things besides not having a job because you don't have a car because i've lived in la without a car for four years now three, yeah. how long have i been here three years i mean when i first moved to la i didn't have a car either mm-hmm. I mostly yeah had a motorcycle which is what i have now so uh not a huge amount of difference for me personally. Uh, it's a little frustrating, I guess, because of uh, a lot of jobs, like a lot of uh, production work wants you to have a car mm-hmm. to carry gear or to do runs or stuff like that. So mm-hmm. n- not being able to get jobs because of it is a little bit frustrating, but I mean... Yeah, I've experienced that since I moved here because 
primarily my work in New York City. The, the main jobs was ice cream in the summer, and then I would do art modeling for, like, extra money and for fun because I enjoy it. When I got out of ice cream, I would do nannying and art assisting. But for nannying in New York, you don't need a car. In L.A., you have to have a car. Yeah. For art assisting, you have to have a car. Even for art modeling, there aren't there's, like, schools on the west side that offer me jobs that I can't do because I just don't want to sit on a bus for three hours, you know? Not worth it. Yeah, not <laughs> worth it at the end of the day. So it's, like, L.A. is so car-centric, and I also think it's, like, a super huge part of the job, or like, job opportunity here. It's, like, you really, it's necessary you have a car. I walk, I walk to work. That's why I have the two jobs I have. It's beautiful. <laughs> it is beautiful. It's fucking awesome. And I brag about it all the time to my coworkers. I'm like, yeah, I just walk to because they're always freaking out about parking or like, I'm 15 minutes late because of traffic, like calling in all the time, you know, like that stress just seems like, I, I mean, working sucks as it, as it is and then having that on top of it or getting a ticket or like just the stress of, oh, I hope I don't get in an accident on my commute today, like all of that because it's just, Wow. Yeah. I mean, this, it's a whole different, yeah, it's a whole different thing Strange, here. Strange, different level. Mm-hmm. I never, yeah, I can never understand, like, people that live, like, way out in, like, Rancho Cucamonga and then drive into L.A., like, two and a half hours every day, like, what are you doing? Why do you think they do that? I think it's, I don't know. I mean, my guess would be it's a combination of the cost of living out there being cheaper than here, but then again... When you add up, like, the gas, your time, mm-hmm. like, if you're sitting in traffic for, like, two hours, let's just say average two hours a day, hour in, hour out. Yeah. Um, like, what's your what's your time and stress level really worth? Like, you might as well take that money and live in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, we live in the city. Mm-hmm. We don't, we're not making big bucks. Like, and we actually have, we're, we're very lucky because this apartment is cheap. Yeah. With, like, a backyard that yeah. feels support- that feels rural, even though we're literally in the heart of one of the biggest cities yeah. in the U.S. Uh, then again, an- I guess another consideration is kids. We don't have, like, a family or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, we have a daughter. For a daughter, <laughs> yes. A cat. A cuckoo. <laughs> My daughter. Um, and I think another part of it is people not wanting to live, like, in the city, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. too. They have. There's like a status thing. Uh, not really status thing. I think more of like a prejudice against living in a city because, you know, I don't know if it's connected to like kind of a white flight type of mm-hmm. mentality or, um. Yeah, just kind of a fear of an urban environment, kind yeah. of. If that makes any sense at all. <laughs> it does. Even like the girl last night who I was training with was like do you want me to give you a ride home? Like, do you feel safe? I was like, bitch, no. Like, <laughs> I don't feel fucking... I live in Echo Park. What the fuck is unsafe about Echo Park? It actually blows my mind that people feel unsafe in an urban environment. Yeah. And granted, I grew up in a super rural environment, lived in, like, a rural town until I was 24 years old, you know? I lived pretty rural for a long time. But I just don't get that. If you can do it, anybody, anybody can. <laughs> it's like... Just be smart. Yeah, you got to learn those street smarts. Like, yeah. But I don't know. Be- but I but I learned a lot of that on the ice cream truck, too. Yeah. I was so wet behind the ears before I worked the streets of New York and learned how people will take advantage of you and what they'll do, you know? Yeah. And I had to learn the hard way 
a lot of times, but that's how you do it. Yeah, you that, gotta I jump mean, in. It's <laughs> like anything, be, like a city person moving to the country. There's a bunch of shit they don't know about yeah. that they like. They're scared when the they hear someone, like an owl hoot. Yeah, and someone, like, fuck. <laughs> someone that lives in like New York City and then moves to fucking I don't know like Iowa or something. Mm-hmm. They gotta learn how to fucking drive with deer. Yeah, and yeah <laughs> true. that's really true. It's like, are you gonna just stay in your little comfort bubble? I guess for some people that is what they want to do. But how do you like? expand and grow as a individual and a person well like, you know what i've learned not everybody wants to do that that's not that's unfortunately you and yeah. i are super into that <laughs> and we like to surround ourselves with people who are into that but that's not everybody's mo it's a lot true. of people are like let me just stay the same let me just stay as status quo as possible let me just can i not you know <laughs> that's... i don't understand what's the point of living if you're not experiencing and expanding your experiences like Aren't you like feeling a little dead inside? Like I don't know. That Listeners, sounds horrible to if me. anybody can chime in and send us an email, if you no, maybe there's something we're not seeing in that. There could be, and we're very open to to really like learning. Like if you if you are a listener or you're someone who literally doesn't want to grow at all, I want to hear from you. I'm curious. I don't say it like that. Maybe like I don't know don't feel the need to expand yeah you feel your... let's, let's say let's frame it this way you feel content just as you are there and you feel that there's not there's nowhere there's not nowhere to go but you know that like where where you are is where you are maybe there's like a zen way of framing it too who knows maybe some people have found some sort of balance yeah yeah, yeah. i guess yeah, yeah. Well, i don't know i'd be curious to know if, if anyone definitely. has any insight Email us at cosmichalitosis at gmail.com. With a cosmic with a K. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, we rail about money and, like, wonder about how, I guess, like, how people manage to do these 20, 40 years of 40-hour-a-week jobs and stuff like that. I guess, like, what do you see as, like, an option or, like, like an alternate way of life? If we feel, I guess, I guess I'm going to speak for myself and say that I feel that, like, living within that paradigm is something that constricts and, um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like prohibits human growth and evolution and expansion to be as woo woo as possible. I think like, (laughs) I, I do, I think that like, if you're not kind of mixing things up, if you're not trying to experience a lot of different things, if you're not constantly like seeking something that's like, truly exciting to you and energizing to you, like that, that's a detriment to all. Like, we should all be kind of, like, trying to reach and grow and, like, move forward as individuals to move forward as, like, a species, I guess. For sure, yeah. So what, I mean, what other options are there? How, like, we can't, it's like this, like, idealism of, like, what if we all just stopped working? Or, like, what if we all just, like, this idea of universal basic income, for example. Like, how would that actually work? Like, what would happen to the jobs that exist? Or all of the, like, unseen labor that we don't even think about. The people that put together the teeny tiny pieces of plastic that hold together the middle of the fidget spinner or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, ha- like what, what happens to those people? Like, if we get rid of this, like, some of the nonsense. Well, no one in this country is putting together fidget spinners. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> true. So, I think, uh, I don't know. This is, like, too, I don't know what the right word is, but... Uh, I feel like a lot of a lot of stuff in this country we should probably bring back um, 
manufacturing and things here. We have the technology for a lot of stuff to be mm -hmm. automated. Um, and this country makes more than enough money to support everyone. Um, but we're going to have to have some really big systemic changes for that to, to work. Like we're gonna have to shift away from this idea of make money at all costs and mm -hmm. fuck everyone. If you can't, if you can't fuck someone else over to get as much money as you need, like, uh, we got to get rid of that and start thinking about, uh, everyone here as our brother or sister, like mm -hmm. the good for the all is, is, has, has to be the most important thing. Not just for everyone living here with us, but the good for all in the planet all as well. All life forms. Yeah. Sentient or not considered sentient, right? <laughs> Including plants or whatever, plants you know? Plants are 100% sentient. Exactly. Not everyone's on that same page, but... The vegans, the vegans will <laughs> one day learn, hopefully, that plants are intelligent. Plants are more intelligent than mollusks. Like, plants hear, they mm -hmm. talk to each other. They um, scream, they cry. Yes. <laughs> they transform and change and grow. They communicate with other plants, even of, like, a different species, and they communicate not through themselves, they communicate through mycelium, so they use fungus, and, mm -hmm. like, plants are communicating with funguses, which communicate with other plants, and they, like, will allocate resources to other plants that are not doing well, like, plants are alive they're sentient creatures and they're fucking delicious <laughs> and they are <laughs> which you probably noticed if you're a vegetarian <laughs> but they're also alive and they're also super sentient and they want you to eat them mm -hmm. where do you think the seeds and fruit how do you think those were designed because they want you to eat them and walk fluid. around and drop the seeds somewhere else so they can plant it mm -hmm. like there's nothing wrong with eating life just do it in an ethical manner treat things with respect mm -hmm. Yeah. Even the plants. I love the plants. <laughs> I love the plants so much. Vegan rant over. <laughs> um. So, so it's almost like you're you're talking about something that's like I don't know if you want to call it social socialism, but maybe something closer to like the Scandinavian model. Yeah. Which I is mean, like has been like a big thing in the past two year, year two years. Like has been like rising in consciousness this idea of socialism right. or like. Well, socialism. I feel like that's a big buzzword gets people a lot of fired up because the thing with socialism and communism is it it works on a small scale but large scale right. is not that was the thing with bernie's campaign was people were like okay cool that works in scandinavia which is super homogenous and small compared to america how could that be applied here yeah and i don't know first of all there's like bigger systemic issues with like race and class and all that that would need Definitely. to be solved for that to be applicable and how do we solve those? <laughs> we don't know. Well, I you don't, don't know. You don't solve them if you don't put any energy into trying to figure right. out better models. Like right now, we're just in this thing where corporations are like doing a big money grab. They're fucking everything over mm -hmm. to extract as much as possible. Yeah. So we, we just we need to shift away from like there's nothing wrong with businesses there's nothing wrong with i don't have a huge problem with that but allowing those people to run unchecked like uh, i think one of the biggest problems we have right now is um just greed and money if you want to apply it to uh corporations and what they're doing to our political 
environment. Like, mm-hmm. everyone's like, democracy, democracy. We don't live in a fucking democracy. We never have lived in a fucking democracy. It has always been an oligarchy. Like, from the very beginning, like, the founding fathers are so great on freedom, blah, blah, blah. They wanted to get away from taxation. No, those motherfuckers didn't. Those are rich, wealthy people who didn't want to pay to the crown. So they rallied up all the poor people because they weren't sending their kids to to fight just like now (laughs) they rallied up poor people to get away from england and then just repeated the same system uh uh that the monarchs were doing to the colonies except they did it on the local population Mm -hmm. like there's a reason why there's like an electoral college because the common man can't be trusted with the vote you have to have a system in place to make sure the people that want to be in power stay in power and unfortunately through like mass media and stuff they are just keep touting this democracy farce Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um and it's interesting like this last election hopefully some more people started to wake up and see like popular vote doesn't really do shit (laughs) Yeah, we were abstentionists. Definitely. I think uh, uh, we both abstain, consciously abstained this year. Prior to that, you voted for Roseanne Barr? Yeah, it was, it was like a protest vote for yeah, Roseanne. I also voted for Roseanne, I think, the past two elections. Um, but, you know, let's, let's, let's get back to work. You can't talk about work without talking about politics is the thing. Because it's all wrapped up in it. Everything's wrapped up. <laughs> yeah. But I want to talk about, go back to what we were talking about, uh, universal basic income. You wanted to talk about how yeah. that could be applied. Do you want to well, look it up? Should we read like a definition of UBI? Because that keeps, I think a lot of people have talked about that. Um, is there a country that practices UBI? Uh, I think there's a couple. I think I think Finland was the first. Okay. Let's see. Let's look it up. Um, I'm pretty sure Finland was the first. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a beautiful idea. The idea that each person's needs are met, and then if you wanted to expand and grow whatever fuels you and fires you up, you can do that. But you're not doing it as like a survival mechanism or like a, a way of gaining power or like whatever it is. You know, not to say like, not to say it solves like. The inherent like ills of man like greed and power mongering and stuff like that that's part of i don't know some would argue that that's part of our basic human trait like our traits as humans you've been saying but, you've been saying is it though i don't think it is yeah. i think it's uh i mean if you read any uh what's the guy's name uh dr christopher ryan who talks about kind of um hunter-gatherer sexuality where uh, we were working in groups and sharing is a huge part of our um, early social um, construct, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, we worked all worked together as hunter-gatherers. And it wasn't until we saw kind of this um, agricultural boom that... Um, property and scarcity and these things started to become a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in the book that I just finished reading, The Chalice and the Blade, talks about that too, like the difference between the partnership model of society and the dominator model and how that did shift over when agriculture became a thing. It became like 
um, more important to dominate and, uh, like, claim ownership over things, whereas before everything was sort of co-owned, people were um, helping everybody for the common good partnership, basically, and then domination became, like, slowly over time became, like, the dominant paradigm, right? Yeah, yeah. What's the UBI? Oh, uh, UBI. So this article is from The Independent in the UK. It says, uh, the latest experiment in Finland proves that universal basic income works. Uh, so they did a study. Let's see. I'm not sure. Will you look up when they started it? Um, a study currently being conducted in Finland uh, that participants are reporting lower stress le- levels and a greater incentive to work. Um I know I, I hear a lot when you talk about universal universal basic income. People are like, "Well, no one's gonna do anything. Everyone's just gonna be like a like a welfare state kind of uh, a welfare state thing's gonna kind of be created where no one's no one's doing anything productive. They're just kind of like sucking off the governmental teat." But I don't. I really don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. I think humans uh at the very basic level are creative beings Mm -hmm. and i think if you take away this idea that we have especially in this country that you have to go out and get this shit job where you sit at a desk to or serve tables or whatever stupid shit you have to do to yeah make this this quote like idyllic quote-unquote job as the pinnacle of your life Mm -hmm. like i'm a lawyer i'm an investment banker and that's not what a lot of people really want to do. I would say, I don't know, I'm not any sort of authority on this. But <laughs> 90% of people that do that would rather be doing something fucking else. They'd rather mm-hmm. be painting or... Uh, Boating, you hear, just something enjoyable. Yeah, you hear so many people that are like, oh, I, I, my passion was art, but I just went with... I don't know. Yeah, I went with, with being a lawyer so I could make sure I had a paycheck. But with something like universal basic income, I don't think any productivity or creativity uh, would dip because then your basic needs are met. You have food, you have health care. Uh, part of that would be that we need universal uh, health care. Um, all your basic needs are met. And now you don't have to worry about those things. So you don't have to do some shit job in construction or some shit job at a fast food place or whatever it is. You are passionate about, I don't know, plants. You can go work in plants and study plants. You want to be a painter, go be a painter. Like, doesn't matter. Like, you don't have to have this scramble to make ends meet. You can go and just devote yourself to doing something creative. And everyone is interested in something creative whether that's like science science is extremely creative research any kind of like scientific mm-hmm. research is that if you're passionate about physics you can go do that and not worry about like paying for but here's um, the question that always brings me to is who's going to do the dirty work who does who who sucks the sewage out of the sewer you know who, yeah that's like the question then is like when if you have that ability to spend your all of your free time then like does the infrastructure does infrastructure break break down do modern conveniences break down or is there a way we can shift things so that we are all having composting toilets like we kind of go back there is a shift we go back we'd have to go back a little bit to be like i'm going to be self-sufficient for these certain things like i'm going to grow my own food or my neighborhood is going to grow our own food together or whatever so that there's like less dirty jobs to deal with 
Definitely. I, I can't remember. It was some Scandinavian country, I believe. They have... Everyone has, like, a little garden plot, and in Norway, they do they a, have a that. food share. So <laughs> everyone in your neighborhood, someone's got, oh, I'm hooking up the tomatoes mm-hmm. this year. Someone else is doing carrots, mm-hmm. and you all share that. Mm-hmm. Like, um, that kind of community building, I think, is what we need. Because now mm-hmm. we're, we're more connected than ever now with great things like the Internet. But we're also more separate than we've ever been because mm-hmm. you come home, you go in your house, you don't talk to your fucking neighbors, mm-hmm. like... Um, you get your Trader Joe's yeah. plastic-wrapped Brussels sprouts. It's it's weird. So, yeah, we need to have more of this community mindset. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't, you don't interact with those people, so you don't care about those people, mm-hmm. which makes it easier to do um, some of the horrific things you see, like BP destroying, like, the entire... Yeah, there's no accountability. It's Gulf of Mexico, yeah. Impersonal. I was going to say, too, when you were talking about, like, the the like the idea of these pinnacle jobs it made me think about burning man and how much of that temporary autonomous space is built on people who have super successful pinnacle as you say jobs Mm -hmm. who are able to afford this like temporary excursion into a utopia where there is no money and i think it's one of the most like fascinating things about burning man is that it's actually built on the back of like so much wealth and so much uh, of people who give like ninety nine point nine percent of their year to that reality just so that they can go explore this one reality. It's like the weirdest paradox to me. And we're about to go to Burning Man. I went last year for the first time. Temp is going with me this year for the first time, and I think it's like I think it's worth bringing into the conversation because it's it's such a it's such a like strange example of like so it's based on the gift economy. Burning Man, which uh, I'll I'll read um, the definition of a gift economy because it's such a it's such a big part of that, and yet it's such a like moneyed experience and such a like moneyed place, you know. So, gift economy, gift culture, or gift exchange is a mode of exchange where valuables are not traded or sold, but rather given without an explicit agreement for immediate or future rewards. This contrasts with the barter economy or a market economy where goods and services are primarily exchanged for value received. Social norms and, and custom govern gift exchange. Gifts are not given in any explicit exchange of goods or services for money or some other commodity. Um, it goes on about anthropology and stuff, but that's like the basic principle, right, of gift exchange. It's the idea of giving just for the sake of giving, no reciprocation expected, boom, that's it. And um, I've been reading a lot about it in this book by this philosopher Genevieve Vaughn who has dedicated her life to the idea of a gift economy and what could bring gift economics back into daily life in like a a feasible way and she argues that like part of it is seeing that language is like the inherent gift that we all begin giving each other as like caretakers and infants and children and that like gifting language is like kind of the basis of gifting and that's how we learn how to gift as human beings and that if we can translate some of those ideas to like permeate every aspect of our life that we could reinstate a gift economy where there's not this expectation of reciprocation and market exchange you know yeah um but it's so it's like hard to believe and envision because even in its most like idealistic state which i guess is burning man or like burn like maybe rainbow gathering or like events like that where like it's like a practice at gift exchange is like 
it's just a complete illusion, you know? Yeah. It's so, it's the most expensive illusion, (laughs) like, (laughs) ever, you know? And it's crazy to me. I don't know. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't know how you start working that in, I guess. Maybe through smaller experiments and that, yeah, when you, I don't know, I guess the thing with kind of, I don't know, I guess Burning Man or anything that gets to that scale or becomes like a Mm for-profit thing is that you lose some of that, I don't know, that there's, I have other issues with the whole uh, expansion of Burning Man thing, Tell but us. <laughs> I think I think using it and maybe in smaller experiments where it's not maybe such a like mm, I don't know party kind of mm-hmm. like extravaganza type thing. If we can start working in these smaller experiments and find ways, maybe with like the the growing your own food thing, mm-hmm. like that's if I know that's not really feasible for everyone. Um, cause not everyone has, especially if you live in a city, you don't have land mm-hmm. or... Yeah, we're super lucky that we have this yard space. Yeah. It's, ex- it's like, extremely lucky. Yeah, but I mean, even with like, even with like, what you do have, with like, time, mm-hmm. um, but unfortunately that's not something everyone has, cause if you're living in an s- expensive city and you're a single parent or something and mm-hmm. you have to slave really hard over some minimum wage job and then have to come home and deal with kids and well there's an interesting experiment going on in Detroit right now because Detroit Detroit has like a super depressed economy in certain neighborhoods and certain areas of Detroit which is like segregated you know to a large degree and some of the solutions that people are coming up with are these time banks you know so like if someone has a kid and they have to work this day and they need a babysitter, they can't afford a babysitter, they put their need into the time bank, which is like a database online, mm-hmm. basically. And they'll say, I have this to give you. I can wash your laundry for you one day. I have a laundry machine at home, you know, if you know, and people can trade that way. So it's a bar. It's more of a barter economy. It's not yeah. a gift economy, but I feel like it's such a like profound step in this direction of like our time is valuable. Our gifts are valuable, like our talents and gifts and services, the things that we have and being willing to share those. Exactly, um, and that's that's something real. You don't need this middleman. You don't need the fucking banks mm-hmm. to be in the middle of your shit. You mm-hmm. don't need the fucking government to be in the mm-hmm. middle of your shit. And, you know, money is not real. <laughs> right. It's not real. It's not even... The thing it's backed by doesn't... It's not it, even not backed value. up by anything <laughs> real. Like, I wish we'd just go back to tulip economy. <laughs> that was the best. That was the best economy. Like, banks, like, when you get a loan or anything... They make up numbers mm-hmm. in a computer, <laughs> and you have to do real labor to pay back some ones and zeros, so some fuck in a suit made up in a fucking computer. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking farce. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so even that, like, the exchange of, like, the exchange of, like, real services is really powerful, too, because yeah. it doesn't rely on those, like, fake I would much symbols. rather give my time mm-hmm. or a skill I have to mm-hmm. an individual that has something, like... Mm-hmm. If we didn't have to pay rent every month, you know what I mean? That's, like, something... When I was living in an RV, that was something that, like, became, like, an important thing for me to sort of recognize. Like, I wasn't paying rent anymore for however many months. I think it was four... I think it was four months 
six months rent-free in an RV, right? And so, like, recognizing how much I had to work, what I did and didn't need, like, all of the things that were just, like, washed away in that was pretty interesting, you know? To just, like, look at, like, what I did with my time, what became of my relationships, and, like, what changed when I wasn't, like, scraping for rent at all times, you know? Mm -hmm. Or, like, giving my time to that (laughs) that insane venture of, like, working all month and then, like, yesterday going and putting a big wad of cash in the bank teller window and like walking out with a piece of paper that got mailed to someone somewhere and we get to live here still it's crazy it's crazy (laughs) like what did we just do well that's uh i mean to bring it back to a question you asked a while ago like how do you get out of that or what are ways to minimize your interaction with that system like um it's not a hugely popular thing, but I remember reading like one way is to just completely extricate yourself. Mm-hmm. Like there, I was just reading an article about some dude that lived in the woods for like, I, I think he was in trouble for something mm-hmm. was like running away from the law, but mm-hmm. yeah, we had been living. I don't remember where it was, but had been living in the woods for like 20 something years. Yeah. The hermit. Um, I feel like I yeah, the hermit. Yeah, I think yeah. that was it. And yeah. I read... But he had been stealing food from people's cabins. Oh, that was he doing? Yeah, yeah, that's, he got found out, but he'd been doing it for like 20 years uh. where like he'd go into this one, like, I think it was like a summer camp or a resort or something nearby. Yeah. And he'd go and get what he needed and he had like figured out until they finally, they noticed like this, these items were like going missing every month or something and they finally installed cameras and caught him uh, but it was like he was doing it for, if it's the same hermit that we're talking about yeah. he had a really interesting story though yeah and that was his choice i think there's another one i read about uh i think it was just after world war Two, and i think they they were i don't know if they were in russia or uh one of the countries the soviet union um swallowed but uh i think i believe they were russian jews and during the whole stalin thing they like fled into the into i think it was siberia and it was a family, like, uh, that lived there, had kids, like, did everything mm-hmm. their own, like, taught them, taught, taught themselves how mm-hmm. to, like, farm. And mm-hmm. um, I think this woman was the daughter. Her parents were the ones that ran away. And um, I think she had just been contacted or came back into, quote, unquote, real life or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I thought that was super interesting, too. She was out there, like, by herself. Mm-hmm. Well, here's, so here's the trade-off, and I'm just speaking from my own experience. Uh, for listeners who don't know, I think um, it was about three, year, three, three and a half, four years ago, I crowdfunded the purchase of an RV motor home uh, and to live a, quote, monk monastery lifestyle. I was really interested in what that would be like to kind of, like, go off into, like, a hermet- hermetic venture, not paying rent, stripping away a lot of the, like, utilities and, like, niceties of daily life and just see how that felt for me as an individual. So I did that. And, um, like some of what I learned in that was about like what that actually felt like to like extricate yourself to a certain degree. Right. Granted, I was only like, I was pretty solitary for like two months in new Orleans. And then I moved here and I started like coming back out again. But the big thing that I noticed, I think the biggest impact that that had on me was that the solitude became unbearable for me. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like the thing that it comes down to that, that I come back to again and again is the idea of extricating yourself is like really glorious and romantic and like the Walden romance thing of like, yes, I'm going to go away and not pay taxes and like live in the woods and it's going to be great. 
Walden actually had like tons of visitors constantly. He was not hermetic at all. <laughs> That's how he wrote his novel, but it's like well documented that every day people were visiting him. He was very famous, you know, people were always like coming to see his like hermetic lifestyle. What's this kooky dude doing? Which is also the case with a lot of monks like Thomas Merton and like tons of monks who were trying to live the hermetic lifestyle became so famous for it that they were constantly getting visitors. So there's like, mm, that's like one thing. And then there's also, uh, there's like, for me at least, the solitude became really unbearable. So I have always considered myself someone who can really deal with solitude, really loves alone time, but like I reached a threshold where I recognize that like that connection and community thing, that's what we're buying into, Yeah, I think. I think when we're buying into all these systems, living in a city, we don't have to live in a city. We live in a city because we want to be around other like-minded people yeah. and opportunities to connect with other like-minded people, which we're maybe not going to do in the sticks somewhere. Yeah, We're going to have a lot less opportunity to do that, right? I definitely agree with you. I feel like that's something we've talked about mm-hmm. before is kind of Where do how... we want to move? Well, no, sorry. That's oh, what uh, I say. Just kind of how this, how the system of, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, like work slave thing and uh sorry i just lost my train of thought well it's kind of uh, it's predicated on the need to connect yeah like like so many of our human um instincts and needs have been hijacked kind of like uh yeah the the need to belong to a group or a tribe right um, right has been hijacked so like we we have these identities as like oh i'm a lawyer or i'm a banker or, or artist artist yeah performer whatever um and which are which are i think generally good things but they've been yeah kind of like hijacked by by the system to kind of to extricate energy from you mm-hmm. or money whatever you want yeah, to say totally. your time right the fact that I went to college with an arts degree to become an artist meant like I had if I wanted to cash in on that investment it was in my best interest to go to New York City or Los Angeles or somewhere where there's like some metropolitan area where there's like a big art scene so that I can maybe win the jackpot and cash in on like becoming an artist who's like financially soluble for my art right yeah so that's like part of that kind of myth that's sold to you or whatever it'd be really interesting like you've been saying since i met you if we like strip away those labels right and stop like feeding our ego identities based on those things like what else would like open up you know if i didn't think that i had to be an artist to live in a metropolitan area to connect with other artists and like make a career out of that right and if i just did go live in like a little podunk town got our own garden built our own house did our little thing um and just, like, loved and connected with the people who were there, despite the fact that maybe they don't identify as artists or aren't, like, from the same background that I am or don't care about it, the things that I think that I care about. Like, how would that shift everything, you know? Because we, like, have the need to connect, but I think there's, like, a narrow view of who we are allowed to or want to connect with, too. Yeah. That yeah. keeps us locked into some of the, those those paradigms. Yeah, exactly what you're saying, like, especially, like, uh, with all this political shit that's happening now, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people insulate themselves, uh, especially, like, on social media. They're like, Mm -hmm. oh, my cousin likes Donald Trump. I'm deleting him. (laughs) That's one of the things I always liked about you, like, on your OkCupid profile, 
when we first met digitally, way you back. were like, way back when, when I saw Temba's OkCupid profile, one of the things he had listed on it was like, if you match me as an enemy or like, if we have a high enemy percentage, percentage talk to me, you know, yeah, I really want to meet you. I want to know, you know, and that's like, that's something that I, that's an attitude I think we all should have. And it's difficult to have. It is difficult. I mean, I get trapped in it too sometimes. It's like, not fun it's... to talk to people that you're like, what in the actual fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it's not fun. Even people who I feel that I have, like, close identities to, if I find out that, like, there's a big rift in the way we're thinking, that's that's even harder. It's kind of like family. It's like when you discover yeah. that you, someone in your family thinks of things super differently. It's really, it's a cognitive dissonance that happens that you're like, but you're so like me. How could you think like that? You know, that's, like, alarming. But I think a lot of those conversations and interactions are the most important ones to have. Because yeah. if you're only interacting with people that are, like, think and believe the same shit you do, nothing changes like it's as you... katie perry says you're living in a bubble bubble <laughs> bubble bubble <laughs> like you're just you're just fucking yourself in the ass with your own confirmation bias like mm -hmm. you need to talk to people who are different than you or have different ideas no matter how difficult that may be and i mean that needs to happen in every area not just uh talking about work or yeah political views like race different race people mm -hmm. different rate people well race isn't real but like you know <laughs> to people of different quote unquote racial backgrounds mm -hmm. um like the whole like feminism thing like we gotta like we gotta talk to these people that have some of these uh perceived backwards views and stuff like that and we have to like, allow them into the conversation yes it nothing is going to change without that other side being involved. Mm -hmm. Like, you can sit there with your group of like-minded people all you want and shout as loud as you want. You can create whatever crazy draconian laws you want to. That's not going to change anything. Mm -hmm. No change will happen until the other side is included in that. And you, all, all parties involved need to feel heard and uh, included in it. And, and there's as hard as it might be sometimes to recognize that there's something you can learn from someone else. Like, for example, for me, for some crazy racist nut job, like as hard as that is, like that person is still a person and they, they are, you know, uh, a valuable individual, like no matter how backwards their views may seem. And I, I really want to watch that documentary. I can't remember what it's called, but it's about, uh, I think he's a some sort of musician, this black dude who went around talking to a bunch of KKK people and mm -hmm. had uh, a number of them like, pull out of the KKK after getting to know him. Because, you know, a lot of this ignorant shit that's happening is just because people are in a bubble. Like, they don't know anyone who's black. They don't... They haven't had to think about the way they speak about women or treat women mm -hmm. like we have to I know uh, it's a thing that I, I've he heard you say a lot and like other people kind of um, about we sh we shouldn't have to do the labor of sh pointing out stuff to people um, which I agree with on some levels and then other levels I feel like feel like we do I can understand being frustrated and not wanting to to deal with people because I certainly pick and choose my battles if I hear 
someone spouting some ignorant ass shit. I'm like, I just don't feel like talking to this motherfucker today. (laughs) But, um, I feel like extending that, uh, I don't know, laugh for lack of a better expression, olive branch to that other person. Mm -hmm. Like, or at least pointing them in the right direction. Yeah. Being like, here's some things to read. Here's some things to watch. You know, I can't sit here with you for, like, this many hours. If that's, like, something that someone can't afford to do with yeah. the, for their own energies, at least to be, like, here's some resources to go yeah. to if you want to learn. Because yeah. this is a start. This and is a start. And then you have the internet. Most of us have the internet. and You can, you can... find anything there. <laughs> I actually think we should talk about The Bachelorette. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we should talk about, like, that, that, we watched The Bachelorette Men Tell all the other night, and that example of that, the racist dude, right? Yeah. Like, being, I, I don't know how genuine he was. I couldn't really tell. It's hard to tell. I mean, he's under a lot of fucking pressure. A lot, with, under like, a lot of pressure. Cameras but, on him and everyone coming yeah, down. But. but basically explained that he knew he had a lot to learn, and the people there were kind of grilling him and getting, trying to get him to be like, you know, you did something wrong, that's all we want to hear. And then offering, we're willing to help, yeah. you know? But you have to, like, say, I understand. Yeah, he's, I, I don't think wrong. he's still, he I didn't still grasp that, but... No, but it's, whatever, it's, like, it's all, maybe he's just... like, like taking like, a step, I guess, but, I, I mean, I guess for some of that stuff, it, 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 it is hard to To, to look recognize. at yourself and be like, I'm a fuck. Yeah. I know. I don't want to do that. I've had to do that. I will continue to have to do that. <laughs> like, Especially like we were talking about earlier, like the want to improve, the want to expand, like for so many people, that's not even it. in their lexicon to like be more than they are. So I can see how extremely difficult being confronted with that. You're just like, brain misfiring. Yeah. I mean, that's like some, that's some ego really clinging to what it knows and not yeah. wanting to have to shift because it's painful it's a rift it's like a very truly painful rift to have to recognize something in yourself that you did not previously incorporate as like part of your selfhood yeah. it's painful it's like yeah so okay here's our solution then i think to based on what we discussed i think our solution to having jobs that we don't like and having to be a part of the system is that you and i move to arkansas Small town in Arkansas. Oh. Something like that. Oh. Small town in Arkansas. We build ourselves a tiny house. <laughs> okay. With some solar pianos. A little composting toilet. Yeah, dad. And then get our little garden. Start growing our food there. Yearly fertile soil. And then we go to our neighbors and we're giving them gifts of our garden. And no matter how racist, sexist, or otherwise they are, we're going to sit down and have conversations with them and try to establish relationships and that will be our little impact on the world and saying like fuck that system this is like an option what do you think we can do that anywhere (laughs) arkansas (laughs) or arkansas if you prefer (laughs) i don't think i've ever been there i mean yeah i don't know i'm excited to do burning man with you i guess we could probably talk about that more on one of these podcasts because that all ties into all of all of this too i feel like yeah uh, you excited? Yes. I mean, yeah. It's You it, know what's not exciting about it? The stress of the money to get there. The stress of missing work and being afraid we can't pay our bills and pay rent when we get back. So it's also really interesting. We're doing all of this extra labor to go experience the gift economy. Yeah. Really Bur- weird. Burning maybe Ironic, should, even. Maybe we should do a podcast, Burning Man on the Budget. Something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, cause Oh, yeah, I, I've always 
said the only only way I would ever go is if I got a free ticket. Same, and, which I had the opportunity last year, yeah. and then I could extend that this year to Tamba. Uh, which is, yeah, what we're doing. I guess it's not technic- technically well, free because we're working for it. We're working, but then we're also getting paid cash the week after. Yeah. Well, it's extra we're, yeah. stuff, too. But. Well, so, I mean, we're basically getting paid because that labor pays for our ticket. I mean, yeah, we're working to experience the work-free money-free environment of Burning Man, <laughs> which, of course, the irony's not lost on me. Last year, I was very, like, all right, at the end of the day, this is a good fucking party, you know, great drugs, allegedly, and <laughs> lots of... Some cool art, bro. Cool art and There's music, art. and it's, it's fun an to be naked. It's not just a party, <laughs> you know? But when you get down to the philosophy and all that, maybe we can talk about that in another uh, another episode, how the philosophy and the, like... The founding principles and tenets, how we experience them in the flesh there could be interesting to talk about because it's all, it's all tied into all of these questions and ideas, I think, and it's important. Agreed. Sound good? Yes. So we've got our solution to save the world and we're going to Burning <laughs> Man. And okay, one last question before we go. It's probably been like an hour now. If, if we had like our dream lifestyle, uh, yeah. what would that be for you? What do you think the dream would be hmm. if you did not have to work? But let's say you had to figure out a way to have your 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 survival needs met. Um. What clean water, food, clothing, shelter, sex. I would. Well, I mean, sex is survival, right? Sex is survival. <laughs> you already bought me. <laughs> not without he done, taste, he done bought the cow. Not without tasting the milk first. Of course. Um, <laughs> sorry, parents-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, ideally, I would like to what have... What law? <laughs> True, we have a marriage outside of law. Um, ideally, I would like some sort of garden space to grow as much produce as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's... I mean, if we were... Uh, so hard to say. I, I would love to live somewhere where it snowed because I'm a big snowboarder and I mm-hmm. love all that. Well, um, my parents live in but, Minnesota and they grow and can all of their summer harvest and yeah. last them through the winter so you can have that but there's no there's no mountains there there aren't uh, not, i'm not but, talking about minnesota oh. but just saying you can have a, a true you four know season I, climate you know what i would do though mm. i would just build a fucking industrial greenhouse true maybe not That's quite industrial idea. size but a large greenhouse so and this you is can assuming just... you have the capital capital to start up your dream operation yeah let's assume true. you don't have the capital let's assume that you're starting from like very bare minimum essentials. You said, you said dream. All right, okay, all right. You do the dream. <laughs> so some sort of, yeah, greenhouse. It doesn't necessarily have to be, yeah, a structural one. They're, they're relatively cheap to build. Mm-hmm. You could also do, I forget what it's called, but it's where you dig out the earth mm-hmm. and then just build like a, a kind of roof structure on top of it, mm-hmm. uh, which is a self-insulated greenhouse because mm-hmm. the earth will insulate it. Um, so yeah, growing as much food as possible, mm-hmm. have chickens, hunting, obviously. Okay, so you need a gun permit, which is... Fuck that. So you're gonna poach. <laughs> so do you need land in order to be able to yeah, poach I guess the land? Yeah, probably need some sort of land. Some land that has, like, pretty normal deer migration. Yeah, or, yeah, any other kind of... Bear. Creatures. Okay. Or we could Boar. we could just squat in on in a national park. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get away with it. Um, yeah, something. I mean, if this is a dream scenario, get fishing would we, be cool. We too. would have yeah some sort of 
We'd have meat, meat actually, protein. No. Dream, dream thing, thinking about it, would be starting some sort of, like, collective commune type thing with with friends or people that were also interested in that sort of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So sort of subsistence lifestyle commune. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be away from a city. I would love to be close enough to still have access to all of that kind of culture. Mm -hmm. You know, I I can't live without my ramen. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I'm going to learn to make you ramen. Oh, perfect. Pork belly. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, ideally it would be some sort of, yeah, yeah, co-op-y commune type thing where, yeah, we all help each other build our houses, we all take care of the farming needs and hunting and try not necessarily be completely off-grid but as mu- as much as possible. Let's say that you have to pay the internet bill as a co-op collective. How are you going to generate? So you have to have some income because there's certain utilities that you can't create on your own. True. But how dream are we talking here? <laughs> are we talking like You're going to create your own internet. No, not no. <laughs> You're not going to use the internet. No, there would still probably be internet, but maybe it's at a point where it's it's just Free. a thing. Yeah. It's a basic utility. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Okay, well, let's say you have to make money for something. Something. Um, grow mushrooms and weed. Okay. <laughs> and it would be legal. But what if, what if it's legal and everyone's growing their own and there's no market for it anymore? But that's the thing, though. Everyone does not want to do that That's themselves. true. Not everyone's going um, to want to do that. Just like with the other s- scenario where we were talking about, like, universal basic income and how will, like, some mundane things... There are people that generally don't mind doing... Raking shit? Well, we're not going to have to... We, nobody rakes shit. You have to rake shit at a for farm. your... At a farm. Yes, mm-hmm. but it, it, the, the, like, sewage system is mostly automated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like we can get to a place where a lot of there's probably better ways if we actually invested in the technology of doing that like if we were all eating better food Mm -hmm. you know all that shit is fucking fertilizer we could stop using chemical fertilizer Mm -hmm. and use this natural stuff Mm -hmm. if we stopped if we pulled all the chemicals out of everything we're ingesting we can recycle that stuff uh, but sorry, I, I digressed, but I feel like, yeah, there's always going to be people that are, you know, I don't mind building houses. I actually really like doing mm-hmm. construction, mm-hmm. you know? And a lot so of people it's... in any, like, communal or co-op environment I've been in are willing to do the dirty work, too, a lot of times, just yeah, out of altruism and trying to serve the collective good. And you, yeah, exactly. In a small community like that, you directly see how that benefits not just you, but the people you care about around you. Right. And it's, yeah, it's in the vested interest of the group that everyone help out where they can, you know. Just like, I don't know, with us, like, there's something you don't mind doing that I don't really like, and you're like, yeah, I'll do that, or vice versa, or something I don't mind doing, or even like doing that you don't like doing. It's like, I don't care, I'll do that for you, I love you. (laughs) Uh... Where was I? Yeah, so something, yeah, some kind of collective thing like that where everyone's, you know, got a vested interest in in supporting each other and making sure that everyone is the best they can be in taking care of each other, especially with, like, kids. I think a huge, a really important thing for kids is to have, like, a community, communal kind of raising environment, like... That's hugely important. Cause You're socialized by a bunch of different people. A bunch of different people. And you there, there's things like this. Your neighbor's parents over here 
might do differently than your actual parents mm-hmm. and like you can learn like oh wow there's a different way of doing this mm-hmm. oh wow you can learn so many different things mm-hmm. from that and when you have everyone is you know has an interest in in raising all of these kids together like the the better for the kids they have more input more sensory input mm-hmm. you know i don't know i'm just a hippie yeah <laughs> Not truly, though. I don't know. So I've, I've got my own takes on, on hippie views. I'm a hippie who wants to shoot things and eat Yeah. <laughs> there are all hippies. Let's just say that hippies on a spectrum, like so many things. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I was, I forget, I was, I think I was listening to another podcast or something. And they were talking about someone's parents who, how they don't want to be called hippies mm-hmm. because of like what hippie has become to mean. Right. And it's like, yeah, like this kind of like a dropouty like bum kind of thing. Yeah. But that's not what hippies were. Hippies were like kind of counter revolution. Right. Not counter. They were resistors. Kind of? Yeah, they were resistors. The, the, the initial intention intention was resisting. Yeah, it was very rally, very consensus. Very uh, yeah. political and a movement. It wasn't yeah, just mm-hmm. some fucking dirty purse dude on the corner with dreads asking for change. Not, Not that, that there's, there's anything, anything wrong, wrong with that. Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, the the hippie quote unquote label has yeah definitely morphed into meaning something different. Yeah, people always ask me if my parents are hippies when I tell them how I was raised. I'm always like, no, not really. Like it's like what what I think of that word meaning is very far from what I think of my parents as, you know. Yeah. But when I explain to people the way my parents live, they're like, oh, they're hippies, you know? It's funny to me. I'm always like, they're more like homesteaders, because, like, they don't really subscribe to all... Like, I guess what I think of... I guess I think of hippies as, like, ideological more than anything. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's my, like, how I perceive that word. I perceive it to be, like, a set of ideologies. You don't have to subscribe to all of them, but, like, yeah. More than, like, a way of living, per se. I don't know. Yeah. How about you? What's your ideal scenario? I mean, I have many ideals, but I I think traveling is like a really important part of them. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. And you've always... I forgot about that. That's okay. <laughs> I'm going to try to expand on one of the possibilities you've brought to me, which is the idea of living on a catamaran. Yeah. That yeah. Would, I would love to do That's that. what, when I asked Temba, maybe like our first week of dating, like what your big dream was, like what your life dream was, that's what you told me. You were like, to live on a catamaran and travel around, you know? You remember that? Yeah. You're like, oh shit, what did I, no. what did I tell her to get in her pants? <laughs> I didn't have to tell you anything to get in your pants. It's true. You snared me with said pants. You were like... <laughs> gotcha gotcha bitch <laughs> um so i like thinking of that idea because uh i do think travel is super important to get outside of your own very narrow limited western way of thinking and looking at things and it's something i want to continue to be able to do and like i said that's something that's been instilled in me through my family is that travel is one of the most important Hugely things you can important. Do. um so you had talked about yeah buying a catamaran houseboat somewhere that we could live I think we've not talked a houseboat, about... a catamaran. A catamaran, but you can live on it. Yeah. Isn't that a houseboat? No. All right, whatever. A houseboat that you can live on. A catamaran that you can live a on. Catamaran, yeah. Okay. It, a large. Because when I think of catamaran, I think of just like the kind that just has like the sail and the the, the thing in the middle where like you can feel the water coming. Yeah. In. I don't it's think. It's just of... like it's a type of sailboat, so that ranges from yeah tiny dinghy all the way up to like mega yacht. All right, so we're gonna live in a mega yacht. And, yeah, so that idea 
really interests me. It seems very dangerous and scary because that's like seafaring all over the world. Sounds very like risky and exciting, you know? I'm not interested in boring. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm an adrenaline junkie. But I like the idea of having a home base. Yeah. Too. I think that really appeals to me. Somewhere to come back to. Maybe not even in the U.S., you know? I think ideally not in the ideally U.S. Ideally not in the U.S., yeah. Ideally somewhere that, let's say, let's say we can't have our dream scenario in the U.S. and it's somewhere else. So we go back there where we are able to have that lifestyle. Well, right now we can't. The political climate. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, yeah, you can. I mean, yeah, you can with like with caveats, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we have kind of something similar to that a homestead somewhere where like people there, there's some people holding it down, some core members. Maybe it's open to other people coming in because I think also like fresh, fresh perspectives in a community like that is really important, so that it doesn't stagnate in its own ideology or its own like you know. Yeah. I think that's like part of an issue with communities. It's so important to like bond and keep people together, but it's kind of like, I don't know. I think it's really important to continue freshening that and keeping other people, other people's ideas in mind, and not becoming like stagnating cesspool of your own beliefs and yeah like, ways. You know. Kind of builds off like the idea of traveling expanding to yeah like, so i like the idea of like a like a co-op that's also a residency or something mm. like that that like has like an open um not open door but just something where people can like apply to or like be referred to come in and like bring their ideas to it i think it'd be cool if it was people that had like specializations or like areas that they could really bring and come teach people new new skills and things like yeah. that um, so that really appeals to me and everything you were talking about. And then this idea of having a way of traveling as well. And if that traveling could be something that was like, like, let's say money, like money's still important all over the world. Maybe we're traveling to earn money to sustain that travel. You know what I mean? Either like going and teaching or like making art, you know, which like has been an option for me in the past. Always trying to figure out a way to like sustain that and like keep that kind of like touring artist thing going would be really exciting and interesting. Yeah. Especially if it's building off the ideas that we're learning in the collective zone, you know? So it's not just, like, me, an artist, and my genius ideas that I'm, like, bringing to art fairs. <laughs> that it's just, like, maybe people from our collective, from all over the world who we've met, joining together, sharing ideas, you know? Just letting it be um, an intersection of thoughts and ideas, cross-pollination, so that it's not just about the artist as this sole individualistic capitalist entity you know which is what being an artist is in like so many realms like to be successful you have to be really good at becoming a brand you know yeah so I like the idea of trying to continue artistic pursuits but like outside of that market system you know making it like yes you can pay me for like bringing me here so that I can do this thing and like share and do this knowledge share you know thinking of art more as like knowledge share than like icon worship you know but if we could do that together we could do that with people we met like bring these conversations workshops however it was like done all over the world i'd be really excited about that because i get excited to teach and learn you know i think like that's something i really want to be part of my life also sex toys <laughs> <laughs> Which is my next capitalistic venture. <laughs> Maybe we'll save that for another podcast. Yeah, you don't want to reveal too much. I don't want to tell too much, but I'm struggling with the 
the idea of being an entrepreneur and being an ethical person. How? Stay tuned. <laughs> Is that everything? Uh, I think so. Thanks for listening, yeah. you guys. Thanks for listening. As always, our halitosis is here to bring you joy and hopefully new perspectives. If you have any of your own perspectives you want to chime in about, we'd be happy to read your email on our next show and continue the conversation. Thanks for listening to Cosmic Halitosis. If you have questions or comments or want to yell something at us, email us at cosmic with a K halitosis cosmic halitosis at gmail.com please subscribe and like the podcast and you can follow us on our personal instagram accounts i am gorgeous taps and temba is tembizzle t-e-m-b-i-z-z-l-e thanks for listening